Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. All right. Well, it's John chapter 21. If you want to go ahead and grab your Bible or an app that you're using on your phone of some sort, uh, open up to John chapter 21. Over the past several weeks, we've been working through a series called The Jesus Way. And working through the last seven chapters of the book of John and looking at Jesus' words and his work as in the final hours of his life before his crucifixion and resurrection and just getting a picture of who Jesus is and what he's done and, and, the, and understanding those things and how that transforms our lives. We begin in John chapter 15. And John chapter 15, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's the, and it's the, the call that Jesus gives his, his disciples and to us to abide or remain in him. And then we, chapter 16, we talked about Jesus' heart. In chapter 17, we got to, got to sneak in and, and peek in on this conversation, this prayer that Jesus has with the Father in, this, in the hours before his crucifixion as he prays for the disciples and then prays for us. In John chapter 18, we see Jesus in his mission as he's found in the Garden of Gethsemane and he stands, he steps up to, to take the cup that, of suffering that God had put before him. That nobody takes his life, he gives his life freely. He steps into that. In John chapter 19, we looked at the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice as he died on the cross. And on the cross, he graciously took our place, the place that we deserved, and became the sacrifice for our sins. And then last week, Easter Sunday, we looked at John chapter 20 and Jesus' victory. We celebrated this incredible reality that the lifeless, breathless body that was laid in the tomb on Friday, that on Sunday, he was alive. He was risen and he risen indeed and, and it changes everything, right? We talked about last week, even the, the if, if you were here last week, you remember we talked that, that Easter is a date on a calendar, but it's a day that changes every day. So it changes every day of our lives and, and it, that we live as Easter people, as resurrection people, reminded that Jesus is resurrected and he's coming back to, to, to gather his people together, to bring them to be with him forever. And so the, that's the, what we kind of ended on last week. And, and some of you uh, at this week, as we turn to John chapter 21, some of you, I, I feel like this is a, an incredible story for, for us in this room because many of you have already put your faith in Jesus. You know, last week there was a, it was a, a clear call that maybe, maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus. And, and I asked you to ask the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Right? Where are you at with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? And, and if that's a question you're still wrestling with, I'm excited that you're still wrestling with it. Right? What I believe wholeheartedly is that if you are wrestling with it, it's not going to go away. Right? It's going to pop up in random places where you weren't expecting it. God's going to show up and be like, so what are you going to do with me? And I'm asking you to, to continue to, to follow up with that and wrestle and ask those questions. But for some of us in, in the room today, we've walked with Jesus for a while. 
You, maybe you've, you've had a relationship with Christ for some time and, and, and you know that over the past, over the past years or maybe, maybe it's just been the past week, but maybe for some of us we've, we've for, for some time have wrestled internally with just some, some feelings of regret about some places and some, some spots in our past where, where we just have some regret of things that we did or places that we feel like we failed and this week as we kind of close out and look at this, this uh, John chapter 21, what I, what I hope is that we see clearly in, in the words of Jesus and in the work of Jesus here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee as he has a conversation with Peter, is that Jesus desires to be restored, that he desires for our restoration. In those moments where we fall, maybe you feel that, maybe you've, you've had that place and you, that you feel like you've, you've failed in your relationship with Christ, that you don't measure up, that maybe your failures are this weight that you sit under. And I want you to hear this morning that Jesus is not done with you. And that he comes to us, he meets us where we are, and he desires to restore us in that relationship, in that discipleship relationship that he has with us. And so we're going to read uh, the 25 verses that make up John chapter 21. And uh, you may hear some good things this morning, but you won't hear anything better than these 25 verses. And so I, pr I pray that if you don't listen to anything else, you listen to this. And this is what God's word says in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. It says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus and he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And when the disciple whom Jesus loved, it's John who wrote, who wrote this gospel account. The disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, which is kind of confusing to me because he jumps in the water after he puts his clothes back on. I feel like that's a little backwards, but I don't understand all things, right? But he jumps in the water and the other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the, full, the net full of fish, for they were not far off of shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning in coals there with fish on it. And some bread. And Jesus, said to, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. With full, it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many in the net, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same to the fish and this was now to the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went, you went where you wanted. But, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the type of death or the kind of death that Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and he saw the disciple who Jesus loved following them. This is the one that leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is it that will betray you? And Peter saw him and he asked the Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. And because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that, the disciples, that, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say that he would not die, only that if he wanted him to remain alive until he returned. What is it to you? Verse 24 says, the disciples who testified all these things and who wrote them down, we know that this testimony is true. And Jesus did many other things as well. If, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is your word. And we thank you for it. And we pray that this morning as we read it, as we've read it together, as we work through this passage of scripture in John chapter 21 and this incredible story of restoration, God, we pray by the power of your spirit that you would open our eyes to be able to see and behold the beautiful things in your word. That your spirit, God, would move in this place in such a way that, that it would stir us and move us to deeper love for you and faith in you that equates, that brings out obedience to you. And we thank you for your word, that you've given it to us, that we can know you and follow you in the way that you've called us to. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. But if you have your worship guides, there's four things that I kind of want to work through from this passage and really kind of looking back a little bit to some other passages just to kind of take this whole story of what's happening here in John 21 on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and just kind of four things that I think are really important for us just to kind of understand the story of restoration that's happening. And the first one is this, if you're following along on there, that there's the dangers of misplaced confidence. The dangers of misplaced confidence. And we begin with this, that the first thing that we need to see in, this, in the dangers of misplaced confidence and with the story that's happening here, we've kind of got to go back a little bit to, to John chapter 13, where it says this in John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. It says, Simon Peter asked him, speaking to the Lord, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'd lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, would you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, that before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You see, what's 
interesting in, in, in this passage in, in, in John 13, and really if you look all the way through all of the gospel accounts and the, this individual Peter who we've seen do so many incredible things, right? He's, he's followed the Lord really from the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's one of those first ones that walk with Jesus is that he's a confident fellow. Right? He's a, he's a guy who's got a lot of confidence in himself and his abilities and the things that he can do. I mean, right? You, you, the, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with confidence. I think Peter's confident. I, I think there's nothing wrong with, a, with an athlete that walks on the field to, to, to play a game that they're confident. I, I don't see anything wrong with, with a student walking into the classroom to take a test that's confident. I don't think there's anything wrong with a business, somebody in business that walks in to meet with a client that's confident. I personally want my doctor to be confident when they walk into the room that they know something, Right? I mean, it, that, that's, that's the good kind of confidence, right? But, there's, but something that's happening with Peter and what we see in this interaction in 13 is the dangers that, that of, of misplaced confidence. What happens for Peter is not that he's confident and not that, that he just, he's confident in his own, it's that his, his confidence is misplaced in himself. He puts, the, he puts his confidence in him. Verse 37, again, going back, it says, Lord, why can't I follow you? I would lay down my life for you. In Matthew's gospel, it says that Peter replied, even if all of these other guys fall away, I'm not going to fall away on your account. I mean, if every one of these other yahoos, if they, if they fall away, I'm going to stay right here. Scripture over and over kind of warns us against these kind of places where we put our confidence in ourselves, where we misplace that confidence, right? And, and Peter does so many incredible things, right? There's so many things that, that, that he does. He's the only one that steps out of the boat to walk with Jesus when he's walking on the water. He's ready to take on a whole, a whole group of Roman soldiers when they come to get Jesus in the, in, the, in, in the garden. There's so many things that Peter does that are commendable. But in this moment, he's putting all of that confidence in himself. And again, Scripture warns us if you just... just places all over the place. It tells us in Proverbs, this, this book of wisdom, it says that pride go, goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Paul writes this in Romans, but that for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with a sober judgment in accordance to the faith that God has distributed to each of you. And, and Paul writes again to the, to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, so if, if you think that you can stand firm, be careful that you don't fall. There's over and over again in Scripture, we see these, 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 treat, these entreaties to listen. Hey, don't, don't put your confidence in yourself. It's a misplaced confidence to put it in yourself. And from chapter 13, what we do is we jump over to chapter 18. We see what happens when we put our confidence in ourselves, the, the failure that happens that follows that kind of confidence. In chapter 18, it tells us the story of, of Peter who follows Jesus into the courtyard where he's tried in the middle of the night and three times, once by a young lady and then two other times by different individuals who see him in the courtyard, he denies that he even knows who Jesus is. If you read those passages, it's really painful to kind of take it in. I mean, 
To some, some of us, we're kind of desensitized to it. We've listened to it so many times. We know that Peter denied Jesus three times. We know that that story. But if you really slow down and figure out, what, and like actually follow the story of what's happening here, he's followed Jesus into this courtyard outside of where Jesus is being tried. And this is the same Peter who followed, like we said a second ago, who followed Jesus from the very beginning. He's been in this from the very beginning. He's, he, he's the same Peter that, that has, has done all of these things that, that we've just talked about, walked on the water. He's, he's, he's been there to see Jesus do all of these crazy things. And in this moment, he totally denies that he knows that Jesus, who Jesus even is. It's incredibly shocking if you really slow down and read it as if you were reading it for the first time. I mean, if you were reading this like a novel, you would stop and be like, no way this guy. In the past several years, there's been some moments in my own life where I've had that kind of no way this guy, no way that person, right? As people that, that some that I know closely, some that have been mentors and friends, pastors and mentors and friends, some that I just know at a distance and just know some, like just them at a distance from their, their, their place in kind of the, the church in general, as I've watched men and, and some women fall and have moral failures and, and walk away from the faith. People that, that, I, that I looked at and people that I've read books from and, and, and listened to and people that I've known and sat in the same room with when they, when they testified of God's goodness and his beauty and his majesty and I've seen them fall and I've had those moments where I've thought, no way that guy. Shocking kind of moments. And the question goes back to how does that kind of collapse? How does that kind of fall happen? I think it comes back to this place, the dangers of misplaced confidence. The dangers of putting our confidence in ourselves. The dangers of, of being people who, who, want, who want people to look at us and, and find us to be something above where we, where we really are. I, I mean, truthfully, like all morning long, this prayer has been on my heart. God, help me, Jesus, not to do anything that would draw attention to myself, but only to point to you. I don't want to find myself in this place that Peter found himself in and that I know other men and women that, I, that again, that I've sat with, that I know from a distance, that they found themselves in, that they've put put their confidence in something that is not worthy of it because they put their confidence in themselves. There's dangers in misplaced confidence. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, one of the greatest passages of Scripture, what incredible wisdom we have here. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What is it? Don't put your confidence in yourself. Don't trust yourself. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. I think just overwhelmingly, we need to sit in this reality for all of us of this, this misplaced confidence that, that Peter, that we see in Peter, that we've seen in other folks, that I know that if we look in our hearts for just a moment, there's been places in our own hearts, maybe in the past week, maybe in the past couple of years, where we've put their confidence in ourselves. And maybe you haven't found that, that collapse that Peter has found yet, but listen, you're walking down a road that Scripture tells us very clearly that pride and misplaced confidence in ourselves comes before a fall. So even if you haven't experienced yet, listen clearly to the warning that Peter experienced, that Peter suffered through, 
So the first lesson is that dangers of misplaced confidence, and it takes us back to chapter, chapter, these earlier chapters. But the second lesson, if you're following along, the deception of returning to the comfortable takes us back to chapter 21. If you, again, the, the deception of returning to the comfortable. This is, kind of goes back to, to chapter 21. How, how many of you have ever, and I, I'm assuming that not many have done this like me, but it, it, maybe you've started a diet thinking, I'm going to crush it, right? And uh, day one was awesome. And then day two, uh, you've done really well, which equals you've starved yourself all day long. And you get home and you're like, if I can just make it to dinner and have that little piece, that little slice of chicken that's supposed to satisfy me for the rest of the night, then I'll be okay. And then there's a delay in the chicken being cooked or finished and this bag of Oreos is collaring from the pantry. And all of a sudden, like you've finished a whole sleeve of Oreos, you're dipping ice cream for your dinner and you've deleted the MyFitnessPal app off of your phone altogether. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to be a confession time. The, um, but you have those moments, right? And you're just like, like you, 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 you have everything in front of you. You're like, I can do this. And then you just fall just a little bit. And all of a sudden it's like, no, I'm not going to just fall. I'm just going to cream over this hill. I'm going back to all the things that were comfortable that I said I had denied yesterday. And, and just go back to this whatever kind of lifestyle that we, that we've, that we lived before. And I think... What happens as you look over in chapter 21 is that, that Jesus has been crucified and he's risen on the third day and he has appeared to the disciples a couple of times. But we find Peter back on the Sea of Galilee. He had fallen, he had denied that Jesus even existed or that he even knew Jesus at all. And then a couple days later, what, he, what we do, what we find him is back where we started in the beginning when Jesus called him on the Sea of Galilee, fishing. It was the lifestyle that he led before he met Jesus, right? It was, this, was his, this was his life before he met Jesus. Jesus had called him and said, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. But, but Peter right here is like, hey, I, I'm gonna go fishing. I'm gonna go back to the place where I find it comfortable. And this is not just some dudes going out for a trip, right? That's not what's happening here. He's, he said, I'm gonna go fishing. I'm gonna go back to the life that I used to lead. I'm going to go back to this thing the way that it used to be. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to handle the fact that, yes, I know that he's risen, but I failed so miserably. There's no way that he's going to let me back in. I'm just going to go back to the life that I used to live. In reality, so many of us have done this. And, and if that's where you've gone back to, maybe you said, I'm going, to, I'm going to follow Jesus. And this is the time that I'm going to do the things that I say that I'm going to do. And what's gnawing at your heart is you've fallen away from those things. And, and, and now you've just kind of returned back to an old lifestyle. A place that, that you said you would never go back to, but now you're there and it's gnawing at you. And that, that you know that something's not right. And, and if this passage tells me anything, if this story tells me anything about the way that you feel, I, I, what I can tell you is that, that that life that you've returned to has not been satisfying at all because it wasn't satisfying for Peter. He's caught no fish. He's a fisherman, a pro. Now, when I don't catch fish, it's like, <laughs> you're, you're an idiot. You don't know how to catch fish. When he doesn't catch fish, it's frustrating. 
He doesn't know what to do with his life. He can't figure it out. He goes back to the thing that he thinks is going to give him some satisfaction because he doesn't think he can go back to Jesus. And even that is frustrating. There's a deception of returning to the comfortable. There's a deception of saying, yeah, I know I said I was going to walk with Christ. I know that I said I was going to do these things, but I've fallen. And I'm just going to return back to this old lifestyle. Listen, it's not going to be what you think it is. And it's going to bring with it the kind of heartache and pain and, and sorrow that you, that you are not going to escape. For, for Peter, what we know is that his best days are ahead of him when he's walking in obedience to the Father, when he's walking in obedience to Jesus. It's not trying in vain to find satisfaction on a fishing boat. The best days, not the easiest days, listen, not the easiest days, but the best days for Peter are ahead of him. The best days, the full days, the most fruitful days for Peter are not going to be on a fishing boat. They're ahead of him in following Jesus. You go back to the cares of the world when we walk back to those, those things and we let, the, we let the things of this world and the cares of this world choke out the spirit of Christ in us. We're not going to find the joy that we think that we're going to find there. It's not going to satisfy us the way that we think it's going to satisfy us. Because the full life, the life that God's called us to, the life that Jesus has for us is the life that walks with him and is found in faithful obedience to him. And brings us to the fourth or the third lesson I think that's here for us in this passage is the wonder of Christ's invitation to restoration. The wonder of Christ's invitation to restoration. We come to this restoration, there's two things that I love about the story that I want to point out that I, that I really think that are interesting and I feel like we, we need to see. And the first is this, that in the setting and the circumstances of Jesus' invitation, you see, Jesus goes back to the Sea of Galilee, just like the day where he called Peter to be his disciple to begin with. He knows where Peter's at. This wasn't an accident where Jesus was like, oh, I really want some fish and I want to sit out on the beach. And, oh, there's the guys. Like, it's not an accident. Jesus knows exactly where Peter is. He knows exactly what he needs to do to see this restoration happen. He knows exactly. He's, he's listen, I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is causing the desperation and causing this, this disaster of a night of fishing so that he can have Peter's attention. Now listen, that Jesus loves Peter enough to not let this moment where he returns back to the old life to be satisfying because he wants his attention to say, listen, what you really want is not found in that boat, it's found with me. But he goes back to this place and he kind of walks through the exact same circumstances. There's the rough night fishing, just like on the day that he called him to the beginning. And he says, that he calls out to them on the on the, on the banks and in the, in the initial, he gets in the boat with him and tells him to drop the nets and this same place, he tells him to drop the nets and they pull it up and it's full. And Jesus is taking Peter back, back to this very beginning, back to the place where he calls him. He, know, he knew all about him then. He knows all about him. He knew, knew all about the calling that he had on his life. He knows all about him now and he's inviting him to join him. He says, hey, listen, this journey that I invited you on, it was not a temporary journey. This was a call to give your whole life. And I'm not done with you. 
And he also reminds Peter, uh, reminds us and, and Peter of, of this love and devotion that he began with. He's saying, he's saying for some of us, and we really, really need to hear this today. And we need to take this to heart that he still wants to be with us. That he still wants to be with us. That, that he still loves you just the way that he did before. I mean, some of us are processing in our minds because, listen, I've been here. I've been down these roads where I've walked, I've, I've walked and I've failed and failed miserably. And I can't imagine that the God of the universe, knowing all of, the, all of the things about me, all the things that I'm telling you. Listen, I don't know that some of you would be my friend if you knew the things. And Jesus knows it all. And he comes and he says, listen, I want to be with you. I know you. I know, all of the dirt, I know all of the dark places. I know all of the things that, that you think are, are irrepl- that you can't return from. I know them and I want to have relationship with you. He calls him back to that place. And he's calling you and I back to that place. Some of you, maybe this week, and we haven't talked yet, but you, you put your faith in Jesus last, last Sunday. You said, I'm going to walk with Jesus. And this week has been an absolute catastrophe. And you're like, yeah, T, I'm out. And I'm here, I'm here to tell you, listen, the story's not over. And I promise if you think you're going to return back to old things, it's only going to get worse. You're not going to find the satisfaction that you think you're going to find in those places. But you will find it in this invitation that Jesus is giving to all of us to say, I want, I desire to be restored to you, even though you don't think that I can or that you can. Second thing that I think is really important in this, in this wonder of Christ's invitation is that three times Jesus asked this question. I know that some of you, if, you're, if you are Bible scholars or whatever, there's some grammar things that happen in this and, and there's debates on whether or not those things are important to, I, I, I'm not gonna dig into those at this moment, right? There's, he asked these questions in three, three different places and he may say, says them in some grammatical differences in that, but I'm gonna try to stay in the 30,000 foot here for us today, because I don't want to dig into that right now. I think you should, in our daily steps with, over this next week, we'll start, we'll end with this chapter, grab, grab your study Bible, dig through those things. But this morning, I just want to stay 30,000. And, and three times, what, what Jesus asked Peter is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know that I love you. And the third time it hurt because Jesus asked it again. And we don't know if it was repetitive and once just right in a row or if it was throughout this conversation that they had on the beach that morning. I, I don't know. But the third time, Peter's like, you know, you know all things. You know that I love you. And three times as he answers those questions, Jesus says, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs. If you look down just a couple of verses, Peter then again, he, said, he looks over at John, you know, the guy who's been poking fun at him in the past little bit as he's writing this, you know, about how, how he's slow and he, he doesn't make it to, the, to the, the tomb as fast and all of those things. He looks over at John and he says, he says what about that guy? And Jesus responds in what, what brings back our childhood or gives all parents the greatest confidence that they're doing something right, right? Jesus says, in essence, I will deal with him later. Right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Kids, you've all heard it. I'm talking to you right now. 
He says, I'll deal with John in a little while. What does it matter to you when I talk to him? I'm talking to you, and here's the instructions for you. Follow me. And here's what I want us to hear this morning. The bottom line that Jesus could have asked Peter so many questions. He could have asked him, do you worship me? Or do you honor me? Do you believe in me? He could have gone this litany of questions. What he asked him is, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Why? Because love is the most important. Paul writes, and now there's three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And because we know why, why, the, why is love the most important? Because love is more than words, right? What follows love, what follows the confession of love is not just words and a, a, a see you later. It's a life that follows Jesus in faithfulness. J.C. Ryle writes this, pastor and, and theologian, he says, I sh- we should notice lastly in these verses, this is not meant that, that this was meant to teach Peter and the whole church a mighty lesson that the great proof, really, uh, excuse, great proof of real love for Christ is not loud talk and high professions. It's not even zeal or readiness to draw a sword and fight. It's obedience. We love Jesus because he first loved us. And I know I've said this countless times in different places, and I've said this in prayers uh, personally, in prayers for our church, and I've said it, I think, from, from the stage multiple times. When we say we, we, we confess our love for Jesus, that confession of love is only because he loved us first. And his love, we say it every week, I know it, that his love is, is, the, is the best. He's loved us best, right? He loves us best. He loves us always. His love never fails. And when we pray, like he, we know that about his love, that it is, it, is, it is never ending. Nothing can separate us from his love. We know all of these things about his love. But my, but my prayer is that we recognize that our confession of love that comes from this great love that God has for us, that our confession of love is followed by, by, by lives of abiding and steadfast obedience to Christ and his word. That a confession of love of Christ is followed by a, a life that is, that is full of steadfast and faithful obedience to Christ and his word, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter the cost. And for Peter, he would experience that, right? He, he says, I, you know that I love you. And Jesus' Jesus's following to that was, feed my sheep. Do what I told you to do. I told you that I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Go and do those things. Care for the sheep. Follow me. Do what I've told you to do. Walk in obedience. And he does. And it cost him his life. The best days for Peter were ahead of him. It wasn't the easiest, but it was the best. It was the full life because it was an obedient life to Christ. And no matter what, no matter where he went, no matter, no matter, no matter when he went, no matter what the cost, he did it. And ultimately, it cost him his life. I want you to hear this, that Before we move on, 
is that faithful life of obedience is a life of dependence on him. Which brings us back to the very beginning of this path, of, these, of this story of the, the Jesus way as we looked at John chapter 15. And Jesus' words were, abide in me and I abide in you, for apart from you can do nothing. And so this call that Jesus gives Peter on the, on the side of the Sea of Galilee to follow him, to feed his sheep, and to walk in obedience to him is the same call that he gives us to walk in obedience to him, to follow him, that lives that confess love for him are evidenced in lives that, that follow him in faithful obedience, abiding, let's, try, let's add that, abiding, faithful, steadfast obedience to him in his word. And the abiding part is crucial because it's trusting in Christ, in his spirit to give us everything that we need to live the life that he's called us to live. First Peter chapter 2 verse, verse 3 and 4 says that he has given us everything. Listen to the man who was called in this place. What he says, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything. When we abide in him, when we trust him, as we, as we abide as a vine abides or a branch abides in the vine, he gives us everything that we need to be fruitful and live lives of obedience. No matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter the cost. And we see that evidence if you fast forward just a little bit, just a number of days beyond Peter, the same guy who was fishing and had just kind of gone back to life as it was normal, the same guy that was hiding in an upper room because he feared the Jews. And it says that he feared the same men that put Jesus on the cross. I'm not making that up. That's what happens in scripture. The same guy that, that happened, that, that did those things. And this fourth thing that you see is the transformation from placing our confidence in him, in Christ. Is that in Acts chapter two, this same Peter, stands in front of the same men who called for Jesus' crucifixion in the same town where Jesus was crucified. Just a month and some odd days later, he stands in front of all of those and by the power of the spirit that lives inside of him as he abides in Christ, as Christ had called them to, because apart from him, he can do nothing. As he abided in Christ, he walked in faithful obedience and declared to those people there, fellow Israelites, listen, to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God, de, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And because it was impossible for death to hold him. And you skip to verse 40 of chapter 2 of Acts. It says this, that with many other words and warnings to them, he, he pleaded with them. This is Peter pleading with those people. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And there were about 3,000 added to their number that day. When we put our faith in Jesus and we walk in faithfulness by the power of his spirit as we abide in him, confessing our love for him and that being evident in lives that are obedient to him as we abide in him in faithful, steadfast obedience. Amazing things happen. 
And not many of us are going to stand in front of thousands of people who hung Jesus on a cross, right? Not, that's not going to be our story. But daily walking in faithfulness will, trans, will, be, will transform our lives. And it will be the things that our kids see. It will be the things that our neighbors see. It will be the things that our coworkers and, and your classmates see, students. It will be those things as we walk in faithful obedience to Christ, abiding in him. Doing, walking with him in obedience no matter when, no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter the cost, that kind of transformed life, life transforms others' lives. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and we're going to sing just one more song just as a kind of a time of response for us. But Maybe you're in that spot from last week where you are wrestling or maybe you did put your faith in Jesus. I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like and what that beginning of that relationship. Maybe you're in this place where we talked about this morning that you've gone back to a life that you know is not the life that Christ has called you to. And you can talk to somebody, that's great. But really, I want you to see that Jesus is standing here and he's inviting you back into that relationship. Not into sonship. You are already saved, right? If you've trusted Christ for salvation, I'm not asking you to trust Christ for salvation again. I'm saying he's calling you back into discipleship and back into relationship. He wants that relationship with you. And as we sing this song, you can stand, that'd be great. But you can also just sit where you are and just say, God, I repent. I repent from walking away and thinking I can find the life that you've called me to in other places. But I need to trust you. I want my confession of love for you to be evident in a life of abiding, steadfast, faithful obedience to you. No matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter the cost. Let's pray together and then let's sing. Jesus, I pray that you would move by your spirit's power this morning in this place, in this moment. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.